Once again, good morning. Tony, thank you for leading us. Such a gift to have you here with our church for several more weeks um, till you go back to El Paso. Uh, I don't normally send and receive text messages during church, but I did text Matthew Benoit and said, any news? Uh, she's not delivered yet, but they are waiting for that newborn life to come out of the womb that forever changes your life. And that's really what we're about to embark on for the next at least semester, maybe two. Uh, but we are going to look at the Gospel of John. And we're going to do a series. I just love juggling all the different uh, ideas with Murray about series titles. But uh, sort of came down with Jesus is life or signs of life. Uh, signs of life that God is not dead, that God is alive and well, that there is life in and from the Godhead. In fact, that one of the three persons of the Godhead came into this world, that we may see signs from Him and believe in Him and through believing have life. And so the question for us is, do we need life? Do you feel like sometimes your tank is empty? And as Paul wrote, I think to the Thessalonians, I couldn't remember this morning when we were talking about it in my office, but he said, I want to come to you so that you have a second experience of grace. And that kind of makes us a little heebie-jeebie, second experience of grace, what do you mean? It means that God lets us experience grace over and over. Hear the word of God this morning from John chapter 20. We are going to start at the end of the book of John. And then next week, Murray will start with John chapter 1. We will not go through every verse and chapter of John. We're going to highlight different sections of John but we're going to look at the very signs that Jesus did. Verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> God, each week as we are able, we gather on the first day, Lord, to hear from you, to be with your people, to sing your praises, to pray, to confess, to give, to take, and to eat. And Lord, sometimes it can get a little mundane. We pray today, Lord, that you would allow us to experience grace, to experience and receive the very life that Jesus came into the world to bring. And it's in his name that we ask. Amen. 
So as I said, we are starting at the end of the book of John, the Gospel of John. And we are starting where John declares the very purpose for his book. We begin in verse 30, that Jesus did many signs. All four Gospels deal with some form of sign or wonder or miracle. Um, many Some of the other Gospel writers use mighty works. Again, miracles, wonders. But John prefers throughout his Gospel, I think he only uses the word wonder one time, and he doesn't use miracles at all, I think, if I remember that correctly. But really where he... He leans into this word signs. It's a simple word. Many commentators and others call the Gospel of John the book of signs. Now signs aren't magic. They're not Jesus trying to impress people. They're not sort of just naked, you know, little displays of power that Jesus is using to wow people. But... They are works of wonder. They are miracles. They're demonstrations of His power that signify something. Signs point beyond themselves to something more important than themselves. If you go up I-65, I've done it, there are about 40 signs that show the same person and He's got a hammer. And it says, call the hammer. And you're not supposed to just look at that sign and expect all this money from an accident to pour into your lap. It's supposed to signify the person that supposedly, we won't talk about the rightness of it or not, but it's supposed to signify something. That you can get that money. See, signs point beyond themselves to something more important than themselves. They are often physical demonstrations or even just encounters with Jesus that prove and give evidence to who He is. They are a manner of speaking in our colloquial language of Jesus walking the walk, putting His money where His mouth is, putting proof in the pudding. Signs point beyond themselves to something more significant than the sign. There are officially seven signs in the Gospel of John. There is water to wine, the official son being healed, the paralytic at the pool, the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, the man born. I'm just running through these like they're no big deal. Don't worry, we'll get to some of them. The raising of Lazarus. And if you count the greatest sign in the Gospel of John, the resurrection, then there are eight official signs. And yet we see here, look at verse 30, that Jesus did many signs. They're not written in here. Many that John did not add here, which imply that Jesus did lots and lots of signs. That really, every encounter, everything that Jesus did was indicating something about Him. Every encounter with Jesus is a sign. Everything Jesus did pointed beyond itself to something more significant than the sign. 
Look at the text. Where did Jesus do these signs and why did he do them? He did them in the presence of the disciples. Why? That seems so simple. But John is calling attention to it. Jesus did signs. Yes, he did them before the world. Yes, he did them before non-Christians. But he often, very often, did his signs where? In the presence of Christians. And there's a reason he did that. Because his disciples needed it. They needed help believing. Very often when you see the gospel writers and even Jesus would say this, don't just believe in me because of that. Don't, don't run after the sign. You know, there's a danger in that. And yes, he still, did, he, yet he still did them. Why? Because we need help believing. They needed proof over and over and over that Jesus was who he said he was. If you back up just a couple verses, there's a story of Thomas. And what do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, unless I see the marks in his hands with my own eyes, I won't believe. You know what Jesus did? I don't take that kind of skepticism, Thomas. Now, I'm not going to talk to you, Thomas. I'm not going to show you anything, Thomas. No, he said, look. Look at the signs. See, Thomas, like us, are like my cat. My cat is just suspicious. She is skeptical. Every time you walk near her, she's like, what are you doing? Get away from me. You're up to something. She'll just take off. I'll call her. She'll go the other way. And that's sort of like us. We are skeptical of God's love. We are suspicious that maybe, maybe this is the time where God's going to get us. Listen to how John says that Jesus understands that in verse 29. Jesus says, I know it's hard to believe when you don't see me. I get it. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. That's us. Jesus did signs in their presence because they needed it. Jesus does signs in our presence because we need it. We are like cats. We are skeptical and suspicious. Where do we see those signs? Notice the next thing that John says. He did them in the presence of the disciples and then he just left them there. He never talked about them again, right? No, that's what he did was he... He wrote them down where? In this book. They were written down for the early disciples, obviously in the original context, but they were also written down for cats like us. Jesus, through the Gospel writer John, says, I know you need to see evidence of me. I'm going to give you this book. You need these signs. You need this book of signs. We need it. Will you admit that you need this book? I told you all a few weeks ago of the time that our son, when he was six, had a head injury. It was a major accident. And when we were in the hospital room, 
for two or three days he was unconscious and we didn't know whether he was going to live or whether he was going to die. And I cannot tell you how the passages in the New Testament Gospels jumped off the pages. We would just sit and marinate in resurrection passages saying, God, we know that you can do this if you want to do. We are, he is yours. You do with him what you want. But we ask that you raise him from the dead. The words of Scripture were jumping off of the page. It was almost like I needed that more than I have ever needed it. And then I was at a conference and a friend of mine handed me this book called Peace Like a River. And he said, I think you need this book. And I didn't know why, but it was after our son had been healed. And the book starts with this father whose son has an accident and he takes him to a hospital and he dies. And the doctors have given up and the dad gets upset says, no, he's not dead. And he goes outside and this guy, they don't know it, but he, he miracles come through this guy. And he begins to walk around the hospital and prays for his son. And his son comes back to life. And I just stopped there and shut the book and said, I need this book. And that is what John is saying. We need this book. Can I just apply this very practically? One of the questions we like to ask our kids every now and then is, what are you missing in your life? What are we missing? Some of us, in many ways, all of us are missing this book. We need this book of signs. Not just the Gospel of John, but the Bible. That is why we have Sunday school, and that is why we have adult Sunday school, which we forgot to announce. I apologize for it. That's on me. We have a good one on the Holy Spirit. But we have men's and women's ministry and discipleship opportunities to get into this book. Do you have this book in your life on a regular basis? And if you don't, please talk to one of your pastors or elders about it. We would love to help shepherd you through that. Paul says that this book is the sword of the Spirit. Do you know what that means? that when the Holy Spirit wants to take out His weapon of choice, He pulls out the sword, and it's the Bible. So when you have discouragement, or despair, or you are lonely, or you're skeptical of God's love, Paul says, pull out this book, and you will see signs of life. Jesus did many signs. Why? Verse 31, they were written so that we may believe. That you may believe. One half of John's purpose in the Gospel of John is very simple. It is decisive belief. The idea here in this use of belief is decisive belief. John wants you to see all of these evidences of Jesus and to believe. His purpose is evangelistic. He's showing us these signs to point to something greater than themselves, and that is Jesus. Well, what are the two things that he wants us to believe about 
Jesus. The first is that Jesus is it. That Jesus is the one. Look at the the very familiar term you see there. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. What John is doing here is he's sort of talking to Jewish people. To people with a very religious Old Testament background. And he's saying that person that the Old Testament talked about the Messiah, that all of those kings and prophets and priests and all those people that were anointed, this is Him. This is the one. This is the one set apart by God. You don't have to look anymore. Every longing and anticipation that you have from the Old Testament, everything that you've been brought up in, this is the one Don't look elsewhere. All prophecies, all promises are fulfilled in Jesus. He is how you are to understand the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 9, Elisha calls not one of the prophets, there was like this group of several prophets, but one of their sons. So imagine being this young man. He says, I want you to go on an errand for me. All of the, the king and all the commanders are meeting in council. I want you to barge in there and grab a guy named Jehu, take him to the side, take a flask of oil and anoint him and say you're the king and then I want you to run like the Dickens. And that's what he does. And Jehu comes back in and they're like, what happened? He said, oh, you know, he's one of those sons of the prophets. Let's not talk about it. They're like, no, seriously, what happened? And he says, oh, he uh, took out a flask of oil and you can imagine them going like, okay, he's prophet, son of the prophet, word Elisha. Oh my goodness, this is God. And he anointed me. And they're like, oh. And it says, this is what it says. In haste, every one of them took his garment, put it under him on the bare steps, and blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. What John is saying, he is saying, Jesus is the king you are longing for. We need a king. We need a Messiah. We need someone to rule our hearts, don't we? We need someone to bring comfort to our emotions when they're running wild and our fears are going crazy. We need someone to show up and walk on nature when it seems out of control, when your tongue wants to get out of control, your attitude, when your guilt gets out of control and you need someone to say you are forgiven. John is saying He is the One. Take off your garments and bow down. But he's also speaking to a Gentile audience here. These are people that didn't have the Old Testament, but they believed in some kind of God. And he's saying, this is him. Listen to the phrase he uses. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah, Jewish people. He's everything the Old Testament talked about. And you Gentiles, he's exactly what you are looking for as well, but more. Because he is the Son of God. Now this word in the Greek, I had to call one of our former members and elders this morning, Jonathan Keel, if you remember Jonathan. 
And I said, Jonathan, how do you produce that, pr uh, pronounce that Greek word? And uh, he said, well, first of all, you're misspelling it. I said, okay, great. But it's monogenos. He said, pronounce, he said, really enunciate the last part. Forget it. But it means he's the only begotten. He's saying this is exclusively God. He's one of a kind God. This is not that he's son of God like he was begotten like a child, like somebody's birthing a child right now. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that he was not created. He is exclusively the son of God. Not just that Jesus is God, but God is Jesus. And that's very different from what you are going to learn in the culture. And I know we all just want to get along. And you should not just tolerate people that believe differently about you than this. You should actually love them. Even if they condemn you or persecute you. You love them because Jesus is God. And God is Jesus and God came into the world to die on a cross for His enemies. That's what God is like. And that's what John is trying to say. If you want to understand God, look to Jesus. I'm not going to steal Murray's thunder, but listen to chapter 1. The Word, that Word that was eternally with God at, in the bosom of God, at God's side, so to speak, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. There is no one else like Jesus. Let the signs point you to Him. Later on in chapter 1, John says, No one has ever seen God except the only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Jesus said over and over, I am, I am. He said, I have come from God. I am going back to God. There is no other religion that, that can even touch this. There is no one else like Jesus. And what this means for us is simply this. If we will admit it, and I've said this before from this pulpit, sometimes the Bible can be confusing. Anyone? Sometimes the Old Testament can be confusing. Sometimes the New Testament can be confusing. I have a, a renegade Bible study on Friday mornings, and we're going through the Gospel of John, and you'll read these great passages about Jesus turning water into wine. You're like, man... He's something else. What a sign. I like that guy. I want to be with that guy. And then you read this long discourse and you're like scratching your head going, Jesus, that's really confusing. And I'm a Christian. Like, I don't, where are you going when you said this and then you said that? One of the guys said this week in our Bible study, he said, you know, I can imagine being there in the crowd and listening to Jesus and scratching my head and going, I have no idea what you're talking about right now, but you are the guy that turned water into wine. I'm with you. And you know, God meets us there. God condescends and says, I know if I told you how everything is, you'd be really confused because you're not of heaven. 
In fact, you're born in sin, and that makes things a little complicated. And yet I've come to overcome all of that and be present among you and demonstrate to you that there is no God hiding behind the back of Jesus. There is no God in heaven that isn't like Jesus. And Calvin said our tendency is to move away from Jesus as Christians because we misread the Bible and we obscure the Bible and we'll run after strange doctrines because we just we want to know all the things that only God knows. And God says... Jesus, that's what I want you to know. He is exclusively God. And John wants us to see that Jesus is in fact it. Harry Potter's not it. Great series. But he's not really it. He's just pointing to the it of its. The one of ones. And John is saying, I want you to decisively believe this. This is an evangelistic book. I did college ministry for 16 years, and I did lots of weddings and lots of marriage counseling. In the first session, I probably told you this before, my goal was always to get them to fight. They would come starry-eyed. He's just the one. And some of these Christian girls would have this whole theology of the one. And I'd be like, how do I get these stars out of their eyes? I know, ruin the romance, but. And I would say, as a friend, encourage me to ask them where they're spending their first Christmas. Took about four minutes. And they'd start arguing. I'd say, is he really the one? Hmm. See, relationships, healthy relationships, unhealthy relationships, is we try to make each other the one. Healthy relationships, we mediate the one to one another. That's called fellowship, partnership in the gospel, good friendships, Christian friendships. We mediate the presence of Jesus. We, Mark 2, take each other to Jesus. John wants us to decisively believe. He's an evangelist and... One more quick application. I know not everyone has the gift of evangelism. But A, some of you do. Are you using it? And B, we're all called to it. Are you at least praying that God would help you stumble through opportunities to share the good news of who Jesus is? Lastly, John wants us to believe that we may have life. Listen to how he says that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is it. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. While one aspect of John's purpose is evangelistic, decisive belief, the other side of the coin is that you may continue to believe. That by believing, this is a continuous action. In other words, it's evangelistic, but it's also to keep you going, to edify you, to encourage you. John is saying, I know it's hard to keep going. I want you to press on. I want you to keep believing in Jesus. As my buddy will comment when people share their anniversaries on Facebook, he'll say, keep going. Keep going. And John wants us to keep believing. 
He knows that we're going to doubt. He knows that skepticism is still hanging around. But look, skepticism and some doubt is not the same good, healthy, okay? With Christ, in Christ, through the Spirit, where we say, I believe, help my unbelief. That is very different from wavering between two opinions. Very different. And John says, I get it. I want these book of signs to not just cause people to believe, but help you to continue to believe, to hang in there. Why? Finally and lastly, so that you not just believe, not just have great doctrine about Jesus, not just assent to these things, but what does he say at the end? That by continuing to believe, you may have life. In His name. See, you're not going to find life in any other name. Not that girl, not that guy, not the same sex, not the opposite sex. Not children, not sports, not education, not religion, not relationships that are unhealthy, not experiences, not nature, not your status, not your approval, not your acceptance, not your obedience, not the law, not tradition. None of that will bring you life. It's only in Jesus' name. As my counselor says to me all the time, Fritz, we are overbuilt for this world. We're overbuilt. We have longings and desires in us that are so good. We were created by God who is from another world and He created this world and He put us in it and those desires were completely met in Him and then we fell. And the wiring gets all messed up, doesn't it? And John is calling us back and he's saying, this is where you find life. I thought about this this week when my second air conditioner in three years went out. Anytime one of my daughters gets married, about a month or a few weeks before, my air conditioner just goes out. Told my third daughter, you have one year to get married because that's my warranty. Or you can never get married. So, but I thought about this. You know, we care about physical life, don't we? We care about physical comfort. We will go out of our way. I stopped everything I was doing the next day. I canceled something with one of you. Because the air conditioner came over, the air conditioner, the guy came over to fix my air. I will do that for physical comfort. But I will sit on a marriage problem for 20 years and never tell a soul. What is wrong with us? You got stuff you've been carrying? And Jesus is saying, I want to give you life. No, I'm going to go worry about these physical things over here. They're more important. Or I'm going to go find life in other things. And we fail and we fail. We get another bottle, another hit, another experience, another this. And Jesus is saying, 
I'm life. Let me, let me be quiet and close with this. We pray and want you to pray that for the next several Sundays, when you come, you will see signs of life. And your true desires will be met in Jesus. And you'll be full of life because you're looking, aren't you? Every Sunday, I drive by the same coffee shop and the same donut shop. And there is a line at that donut shop that worms around the corner. And there are people that look haggard. There are people that look excited. There are people that look depressed. There are people that look happy. You know why? They know that for about four minutes, they're going to have what they think is life every Sunday. And it's a maple bacon donut. And it's close. No, it's not. We want you to come every Sunday and may God have mercy on us and pour out His Spirit that we may believe and continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing we may have life in His name and not any other name under heaven. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Deepen in us a growing faith that is more and more secure where life is who it is, who is the great I Am, that we may have life in His name, that we may be signs of life in our world. For your sake, amen.